Hello everyone, it's great to have you listening in. I'm dropping into your ears another time this week with a, a special issue podcast episode. So this episode is about the Asia-Pacific Diversity and Inclusion Salary Survey, which has some really interesting um, information and really gives a good picture of how diversity and inclusion is working in the region. I'm Lisa Mulligan. I'm the founder and CEO of the Culture Ministry. I have over 20 years experience in diversity and inclusion, human resources and organisational change and development. And I've learned a lot from working in male dominated industries and big, complex, challenging organisations where I often found myself as the only woman in the room, which is not good enough. I also have a son who's vision impaired, and that's why I created the Culture Ministry. And if you'd like to learn more about my career, I recorded a podcast a few days ago, and I'll pop the link in the show notes if you would like to, to listen to hear about my, my career. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the Asia-Pacific Diversity and Inclusion Survey. And the reason we did this survey, it was really to set out to answer a fundamental question where there was no data. And that was, how much should a diversity and inclusion professional be paid? There was no data in the region um, that, that gave us the answer to that information. So during February and March this year, 2022, we surveyed diversity and inclusion professionals across the region to understand their pay and benefits. In addition, we discovered some really interesting and useful information beyond just salary. And so this information answered a second question. What are the current market conditions diversity and inclusion professionals are operating in across the Asia Pacific region? So we looked at things like role size and scope. We looked at what budget is available for diversity and inclusion work. We asked, is there leadership support for diversity and inclusion work? And we asked, what are the skills that need um, that you need to be successful in progressing work? And what are the challenges and priorities for the next 12 months for people who work in diversity and, and inclusion? You will see that I'll take you through the findings that there's quite a few challenges to working in diversity and inclusion in the Asia Pacific region. My course, Six Weeks to Get Started in Diversity and Inclusion, is due is designed to really address these challenges for DNI leaders. The doors are open now. Um, there's a link in the show notes, or you can go to www.thecultureministry.com where you can learn all about the course and sign up. So what am I going to talk about in terms of the survey? I'm going to start by looking at the demographics of the survey. So who were the participants who gave us their information? Then we're going to look at what organisations um, do these people work in? What's the characteristics of these organisations? Then I'll talk about the roles and, and the team sizes for diversity and inclusion within organisations. I'll talk briefly about the salary information. It's probably better for you to go and download the report to have a look at that information rather than me talk about the detail. Um, and the link will be in the show notes for that. And then finally, I'll talk about some of the items of interest and the key insights and learnings from the survey. 
So let's get started. So in terms of the demographics of the survey, we had 62 people respond from eight countries in the region. So those countries included Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, China, Taiwan, Malaysia, India, and the Philippines. By far the biggest response came from Singapore with 32% of the respondents um, of the total survey. And I think that really talks to the concentration of regional head offices in Singapore. So another interesting stat from the survey was that 50% of the respondents were, were nationals to the country that they're living in, which meant that 50% uh, might be immigrants or expats. Uh, interesting people working in diversity and inclusion in the region uh, generally don't have a lot of experience in diversity and inclusion. They might have a lot of career experience, they might be experienced in different functions within organisations, um, but we found that 75% of the people who responded to the survey had less than five years experience and 36% had less than two years experience. Um, and there was only about a fifth of the respondents who had more than six years experience in diversity and inclusion. We also found that most people were appointed internally to their roles, usually from other functional roles. And I think that's uh, interesting for people who want to move their career into diversity and inclusion. Um, it looks like, you know, the best chance of getting one of those roles is with the company that you're already working for. We also found that people who work in diversity and inclusion are a highly educated bunch. We found that 45% had a master's degree and 40% had a bachelor's degree. Uh, so, you know, all up uh, very well educated. So let's have a look at some of the, the insights we found by looking at the organisations that our diversity and inclusion people work for. So the first um, thing we found, which was incredibly heartening, was that 90% of people working in diversity and inclusion have some form of budget. So they have some money to do the work that they need to do. And about a third of those people said they expect to increase their budget into the next financial year. So, you know, as they're doing work, they're, they're getting some traction and they're able to, to ask for more money, which is um, fantastic. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting was we looked at the team size and we found that most organisations in the region only have one or two people working in the function in the region um, and only a very small number of organisations are considering adding more people to the team. Um, so the teams are super small, it's really hard to get work done and 50% of the respondents in the survey said they don't have the capacity or the capability to deliver on the objectives. Um, and so to fill that gap, a third said they were, they were going to engage external consultants to fill the gap, which is probably a smart thing to do because you can bring consultants in like the culture ministry to offer short or longer term expertise um, and without adding to your payroll. Um, 
the, the next interesting thing um, or concerning thing was we found in the survey that 75% um, of CEOs, so people who were the ultimate leader of the business, were seen as true advocates and supporters of diversity and inclusion work, which is amazing. However, when you come down into the region um, and look at the regional leaders and the local leaders, um, that drops to under half um, being seen as advocates and supporters. Um, and less than half of the leaders in the region have KPIs that relate to the achievement of DNI goals. So we're seeing that sort of at a global level or at the very the top of organisations, we're seeing a lot of support um, and accountability for diversity and inclusion work. But when you come into the Asia Pacific region, that, that drops off dramatically. Um, and leadership support is one of the key things that um, that really drives progress in diversity and inclusion. Uh, when we when we looked at the roles, the diversity and inclusion roles that were in the region, we found that most, so 75%, <laughs> quite a lot, um, report into the HR function or the people and culture function, and a much smaller amount, only around 10%, report uh, into the CEO or the managing director in the region. So there's a really uh, clear message there that diversity and inclusion is seen as part of the people strategy. Whether that's right or wrong, um, that's what's happening at the moment in the region. So the next piece I was going to talk about was the salary information. And I'm not going to actually talk about the numbers because I think you can read that in the report, but we spent some time really consolidating the data in the survey about salaries and about roles to really uh, try and provide something that was really meaningful and useful. And so when you see the report, um, we've reported salary bands and um, benchmarks for the common role levels that we're seeing in diversity and inclusion. And as I said at the start, we received data from eight different countries, but we really only had enough data, um, useful data for the, the bigger countries. So the data in the report is for Singapore, Hong Kong and Australia. Um, and, but that, you know, for other countries that will still provide a good guideline, I think. Um, and as the survey grows year on year, I hope to be able to provide um, data for all the other countries that we see in the region. So there were some really great, interesting things that we learned from the survey. So one of the questions we asked was, what are the most important skills? If, if you're going to work in diversity and inclusion, you know, what are those skills? And we've the, the most important one we found was influencing skills, followed by listening skills, and then implementation skills. So delivering against strategy. There are strong links to the challenges in executing diversity and inclusion strategy, such as the need to gain leadership support and buy-in for the work um, and for the areas that, that need to be prioritised for the next 12 months. So, um, you can see how important leadership, um, sorry, influencing skills are. 
Um, there were some really interesting challenges in being able to execute on DNI strategy. And the, the four things that came up as the main challenges was localization. So what I mean by that is being able to access research and data that relates to the countries that operate or that exist, sorry, in the region. Many uh, DNI professionals complain about most of the research coming out of the US and how hard it is to use that research in a different environment. Uh, the, the other challenges were that the DNI work is under-resourced. So we, we spoke before about the size of teams. So even though there is some budget for people to operate, that the size of the teams are very small. The next challenge was about focus, about you know, being pulled in all different directions when trying to do DNI work. And the fourth one was leadership buy-in support. So we, we spoke earlier how at the top level of organisations, we're seeing a lot of support for diversity and inclusion work. But when you come into the Asia-Pacific region, that leadership support um, and buy-in really drops off. So what are the top priorities for diversity and inclusion work in the region for the next 12 months? So the top priority was delivering the diversity and inclusion strategy. So that getting those implementation skills happening, it was staying about staying on track with an action plan, about delivering initiatives and making progress against the goals that they've set for the organisation. It's about scaling programs and initiatives and supporting the business to engage with difference more effectively. The second priority for the next 12 months was continuing the focus on women and gender equity. So in the region, um, and this is quite common, when we're starting with diversity and inclusion work, many organisations will, will start with gender. It's, it's the, the biggest other half of the population um, and it's, it's where organisations are seeing, um, you know, as a good starting point. So the priority, this priority was about increasing more women into leadership roles, uh, improving the salary equity for women and closing the gender pay gap and implementing other equity initi initiatives. So lots of work to be done in the region. So let's talk a little bit about the key insights and learnings from the survey. So when you have a look at the, the salaries, in uh, my view, they were roughly on par with published HR salaries. And I think, you know, we're, we're seeing that DNI sits as part of HR in most organisations. So uh, that seems to make a lot of sense. I do wonder, as the profession uh, evolves in the region and we see people with more specialised skill, uh, maybe those salaries will start to differentiate uh, from the HR generalist salaries. We're also seeing that, that DNI professionals are effectively solo oper operators and they rely heavily on influencing skills to get the work done. And, you know, that's pretty tough when there's one of you and, um, and you're working within a big organisation and you're being asked to deliver on lots of things. That's, it's pretty tough. 
specialist subject matter expertise coupled with significant influencing skills is difficult to find in any industry, which explains another key finding from the survey, that there are too many things to focus on and a lack of people and organisational support to get it done. Um, you know, we're finding that anecdotally when I'm talking to DNI leaders, they're exhausted and they're overwhelmed. Um, and so this is a real big challenge about how do we get focus in the work and how do we get more people to also support the work. Um, the survey really highlighted the challenges and frustrations felt by DNI leaders in the region due to a lack of understanding of regional sensitivities and how they play out, especially from the US headquartered organisations. Um, so this is a common, I guess, trend. <laughs> uh, there's many US organisations who have regional head offices in the region. Um, and this just doesn't affect diversity and inclusion work. It's often um, across all types of work within organisations. Um, but DNI leaders are really feeling it um, because the work that happens in this space in the US can be at times significantly different to what happens within the region. And I think an example is uh, race and ethnicity work. Uh, that work is is quite different in the US. When you come into the APAC region, that work has to be uh, modified for every country. Um, so the cultural, religious and ethnic diversity of the region is a big challenge and we need to be able to adapt our DNI work on a country by country basis. Uh, and if, yeah, if you've worked for a US organisation, you will um, <laughs> probably understand that. So I guess overall, when I think about, well, what are the key things that we learned from the survey? And it was that there are too many things to focus on. There's not enough people to action them. There's a lack of leadership support and capability at the regional and country levels. And there's not enough data and research that represents the unique culture and experiences within the APAC region. So, you know, I've taken these results and I've developed an online course called Six Weeks to Get Started in Diversity and Inclusion. So over six weeks, I'm going to deliver six live webinars. We will have two group coaching calls and I have some wonderful resources and support within an online system that you can work through at your own pace. And it was really designed to, I guess, support new people in diversity and inclusion. You know, if you can really relate to the things I've been talking about in the survey, like there's too much to focus on, I'm on my own, um, I can't get the leaders on board. Um, this course will really help you. It'll really, um, it really talks to why you work in this space. Um, most people I know who work in diversity and inclusion are incredibly purpose-driven and passionate about the work. Um, so we'll talk about that in terms of the, the context of your career and where you want to head in your career. And then we talk about how do you get focus? How do you Firstly, understand your organisation and the, where it sits in the market and 
what is the work that you need to do in your organisation. And you can't do it all. You literally cannot do it all. So how do we get really focused and how do we how do we socialize your work within the organization so that when they come, when someone comes to you and wants you to do something extra and something extra again, um, you'll be able to, you know, really talk about no, our focus is this, and you should be able to push back. In the course, we'll also talk about, well, how do you get budget? Um, you might have some budget, but maybe you don't have enough for the work you want to do. And how do you work through that process? In the course, we also talk about how do you create accountability? How do you measure your success? How do you put a plan in place? And how do you deliver on that plan? Um, so these are all great things that diversity and inclusion leaders need to be able to do. And finally, we talk about how do you look after yourself? How do you, how do you cope when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling exhausted? Um, you know, how do you, how do you look after yourself? So I hope you'll join me. Um, I'm so excited um, to launch this course. It closes on the 10th of October. So get in really quick. So that's the 10th of October, 2022. If you go to www.theculture-ministry.com, you'll be able to learn more about six weeks to get started in diversity and inclusion, and you'll be able to sign up. Um, and if you have any questions, please get in contact. I'll put my contact details in the show notes. You can also contact me through the website. Um, and I'll, I'll see you there.